You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pact podcast. And today on the show, I am speaking to Seb Carmichael Brown, the man behind the curtain of the internet phenomenon that is Hashtag United. We talk about how Seb has managed to align his passions with what he does for a living and how a group of friends who just came together to play football on YouTube have managed to build their own professional football team and make it to the FA Cup. In this episode, Seb gives his in-depth advice on how to chase your passions and chase your dreams and how to align what you love with what you do for a living. So, jumping right into it, Seb, welcome to the Freedom Pact podcast. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me. So, let's set the scene before we dive into it, because there may be some listeners who might not be familiar with yourself and the work you do. Could you tell us a bit about who you are and what you currently do? Yes, uh, I'm Seb. I am probably best known in the football world as um, one of the founders of Hashtag United alongside my brother Spencer uh, and I run all of the business and commercial activity if you like for the club which is a football and esports team which was started on YouTube is now a non-league football team with a really big global audience and my brother and his endeavours he's got a big 2 million follower YouTube channel and big social media accounts and makes a lot of content around football he also does a lot of broadcasting and I also have my own, um, my own uh, profile in golf, I guess, if you like. So I, I have my own golf YouTube channel. I've got one of the bigger golfing YouTube channels on, on, on the platform. Obviously, golf is slightly smaller numbers than football comparatively, but I do a lot of golf, do some presenting myself in golf, uh, make fun content about you know, getting people into the game and having some fun, messing around, nothing too serious or instructional, just me enjoying the game. Uh, and then I get, I've got my own talent agency where I look after all the work of Spencer, hashtag myself, but also a number of other creators from the football and gaming or golfing space. So I do, do a fair bit. Um, and, um, and yeah, that's it. I guess that's, the, that's the, the, short, the short version. And I guess you have a pretty ideal background for, for what you do now. You started off uh, in sales. So what mm. I'd like to ask is what attracted you to sales and, and business in the first place was... Did you always have this, like this idea of being like in control of your own destiny or what was the original thinking going into business? That's definitely it. So my, my father um, went from working on the gas board to starting his own business and ended up having a, 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 his own air conditioning company. And he'd always worked very, very hard to provide for me and my brothers. And the thing he always said to me is, is that work for yourself wherever you can. And it's no surprise that me and all of my brothers have our own companies or are self-employed. So my youngest brother is a fantastically um, uh, talented videographer. He's done a lot of work with Hashtag and Spencer over the years as well, and me on my Gold channel. But he's got a massive uh, profile of his own. He does a lot of travel content. He works for a lot of car brands. He's a presenter. Uh, for Formula E, so he travels all around the world with Formula E, does a lot of the presenting for their digital content and helps them make their own content as well. Obviously, Spencer's a, a broadcaster, a host, presenter, and makes content in football on YouTube. And I do um, I do my golf stuff as well as being some of the hashtag bits. So, um, yeah, that's um, and there's a bit in between to tell you about a company I founded in between getting involved in the whole social media world. But I, I was always... Um, drawn to sales, I guess, I don't really know what, I'll tell you where it happened. So I was at university, I did business and economics and sport, and I ran in the student elections when I finished, when I graduated to become like one of the presidents of the students union, which is a great job, by the way, brilliant job. It wasn't loads of money, but to a student, it was some money. It was more than your student loan. And you get to stay in charge of sort of be involved in the student culture still, but you have a bit of money in your pocket have my own office in the union where I used to help book all the entertainment for the 
have Freshers Week and the various student entertainment nights in the union, and I'd run all the sports teams. So I, I was my own boss, effectively, although we were part of an executive committee, and we controlled all the budget for the union, and we got to do all these things, and I enjoyed that, um, which gave me a little bit of confidence as well, and I think doing that, I had to do quite a lot of negotiation and things, and I found that I was okay at it. Um, and then when, I, when you had a term, you had a one-year term, and then you, someone else comes into the job. I, uh, I might have done it for two years. Did I, did I re-elect and go for a second year? I might have done two terms. I'm not sure. It's a long time ago now. Um, I, uh, one of the friends I'd known who went to the university before me, he'd got a job at a local company. It was a national company, but a local office for a Frankie machine company. And he was like, they give you a company car, you get a decent salary, you can earn loads of commission, you sell Frankie machines to these businesses. It's a sweet little deal. So I was like, okay. And I went and got like a trainee role there and found I was fairly good at it as well. I could sell Frankie machines quite well. And I worked my way up to being sort of the, uh, the number one salesperson for that company in about three, four years. So I had the big London patch by the end, controlling all the big banks and insurance companies and winning all the sales awards and stuff. So I felt like I'd, I, was a half, I was a decent salesperson. Um, and then, yeah, basically while I was doing that, I got to a point where I was very comfortable in that I had all the top clients. I could write my target many times over the company loved me and I, um, I got to have quite a nice work life balance. So I'd go into London, do my meetings in the morning, be finished by midday. I could earn good money and I could go and play golf in the afternoon. This was the part of my life where I was getting into golf after university. Um, and playing golf one day someone made me aware of a big legislative, legislative change in the UK around renewable energy. Um, and he was telling me, yeah, there's this thing, there's going to be this big incentive and people are going to get paid loads of money from the government if you put solar panels on. And I was like, right, that sounds interesting, exciting. I knew no, nothing about it, but no background in tech or engineering other than the fact that my dad's got a bit of a background in that. So I literally went home after the golf course. I can remember it now. I printed off this 38-page document from the Department of Energy and Climate Change and spoke about this thing called the feed-in tariff, um, which was basically going to pay homeowners and businesses who could make solar panels on their, solar, solar energy on their roof through solar panels. And uh, I was constantly trying to like, pinch myself. I was like, this sounds amazing. Like, people are going to do this. There's, a big, there's no companies really doing it now, but people are going to go nuts for this. And I just like, um, was lucky in a position where... I, my company I worked for, they were, they'd pay me a salary. My target was sort of right itself because I had all the good contracts and, you know, I didn't have to go into the office. I could sort of do what I wanted. And I basically just went for it. And I took some of the money I'd made. I bought a stand at the Ideal Home Show and I stood there for three days in this poxy little banner saying, you can have solar energy. I was just one of the first guys to jump on it. And I just stood there for three days and got like hundreds and hundreds of names and addresses of people who are interested in improving their homes. And I just one by one just drove around to see all of them, like all over the country. I'd drive everywhere. I had a little Audi A3 at the time. And I'd just drive everywhere, sit in their living room with them and go, look, this is legit. Bang, 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 made a little website. And I was sending all the work. I was, I was, it was cleaning up. I was uh, seeing 10 people a day, getting maybe three orders. And they're like 20 grand order a pop. It was like good, good times. And obviously I didn't keep all that money. I had to spend a huge amount to get the job done. And back then, solar panels cost a lot of money. So there wasn't a huge margin for me. And that's another part of it. I actually, um, I actually was giving all the work to a guy, a roofing company, a guy I'd met at the Ideal Home Show, who was not selling solar panels, but he was selling roofing services. And I got his card and I said, look, I've got all this business. I need you to physically do it. Have you got the right accreditations? Have you got the right experience? Blah, blah, blah. And he had all these roofers and he was up north. Anyway, he started doing all the work. So I'd go and get all the sales which is what I was good at. And I just go, here you go. Here's all the money. Whatever's left, I'll keep. And like, there wasn't much left. Of that 20 grand, there wasn't much left. It was quite a small margin. But at the time I was doing all these orders, I was still earning pretty good money. And it only happened when I was talking to my dad about it. And he was like, you've got your maths wrong here, son. This can't be as good as you're saying it is. Like, there's something you're missing out here, boy. Like, you need to learn a few lessons, etc." And he was right. There was a lot I wasn't getting right. But in the right way. Like, the whole thing was legit as it could be. But the guy up north was absolutely ripping me off. He was charging a fortune for things that cost a fraction of the price. And I had no idea. I was too busy doing all the selling. So I eventually said to my dad, look, could you get your air conditioning engineers to install one of these systems? Have they got the right accreditations? And it was like a big light bulb moment. He did, he did a few jobs for his company. And before you knew it, I just moved everything away from this guy up north, all through my dad's business. And it went so well 
we actually started a whole new company together where we went in 50-50. And uh, before long, he wasn't doing any air conditioning stuff anymore. It was just all the solar panels with me. Uh, and that grew and grew and grew. I ended up employing loads of my old mates from university. We had national sales coverage. And for about three or four years, uh, we, did, we did really well. And then sadly, the government made another change to the legislation. And just like it became hugely popular overnight, the demand went away massively. It's still there now, but it went away for about a six month period while the solar panel prices came down low enough to sort of make it appealing again for the customer. Uh, but all the people we sold it to, they've all got 20 year contracts with the government, still getting paid thousands of pounds now. Uh, whoever did the solar panels back in the day, they absolutely were onto a winner. Um, and that's still the case now to a certain extent. Uh, and that was sort of when the period where my brother was on the up, my brother was sort of coming through and getting bigger and bigger. And he asked me to help him with his brand sponsorships and partnerships. And I'll be honest, getting into it, I had no idea the level of money or how lucrative some of the, uh, you know, the digital content space could be. So I started working with him and, um, and the rest is sort of history, I guess the cliche would go. We, we started growing out his channel a lot and doing a lot more big campaigns. He did a few really big things in the early days. Then we started hashtag and it's just sort of gone and gone and, Ended up starting my own agency to exclusively look after Spencer and Hashtag. And then along the way, we've signed a few other talent uh, as we've gone. Mm. It's, it's interesting that you managed to like stumble into something without you know, having an extensive knowledge on it. And I find that with a lot of the businessmen I interview, that seems to be the case. Like, I think sometimes people tend to maybe overestimate how much of an expert you need to be in um, a certain field. So like for myself, the first business I ever started was a men's apothecary business. And, and the biggest thing I sold was beard oil. Um, I have no interest in beards. I probably couldn't even grow one if I tried. Um, but, you know, I just managed to, to make it work. Do you think that sometimes people um, have that fear of maybe imposter syndrome that holds them back from actually starting something? 100%. And I'm just lucky. I just don't have that gene. Mm. You know, the, 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 the old phrase, fake it till you make it. Like, Ultimately, um, I have just been very fortunate that um, I've grown up and been sort of nurtured by my parents to have a lot of self-belief and self-confidence. And, you know, I've also been fortunate to have a very good upbringing. I've had private education. Not that necessarily is important, but it does help give you confidence because you're sort of in a, you're in a, like, we, we wouldn't maybe be from a traditional private school background, like, um, uh, my parents had to work very hard to be able to afford those school fees. So we were certainly by far from like at the top end of um, the financial bracket of people I was going to school with. And I think being in that place and seeing other people who were like right at that top end and having parents who had like hundred million pound businesses and driving Bentleys to school, you see what's possible and you realize that when you compare yourself to them, there's not really any difference. You know, there's nothing that, you know, you, a lot of people, including myself, when you're growing up, you see people with a lot of money or big business, you think, oh, they must be like some from another species. Like, oh, they're so lucky. And they're not really. Some of them will have, um, have, will have have certain key characteristics, but a lot of them are probably just very hardworking. And then things have rolled in for them at the right time. They've been opportunistic and they've had confidence in themselves. And I think that's definitely a big thing for me is like being able to put myself out there and have, I think, winning that election as a university student where the student body of all the students chose me over the other people to do that job. That gave me confidence. I've always been half decent at sport. You get a lot of confidence from that. I'm a big advocate in sport in growing confidence in young people. Um, and that does definitely manifest into, into your working career. You, you know, you, you often find a lot of like, you know, the school captain of the football team or whatever, they end up being, you know, quite successful because they're just, you know, that, that um, mindset of being a leader definitely helps. Um, so, yeah, I think um, the biggest thing I'll say to people, not that I'm some big business guru, far, far from it, but my, any success I have had, I think a lot of it is down to the fact that I've just backed myself and, and just don't buy into the fact that other people are any better than you because they're really not. And I think that the reality why some people could be successful is that most of the population always want to just stay in their lane. And that's why it's not for everybody. Like most people would rather stay in the lane and take a job and take a paycheck and take security over the, you know, the upside. And, and that's a, that's a mindset thing and that's easy to change, but it's easy to say, but it's not actually as easy to change because some people just can't get past that. Um, but it's free. It doesn't cost anything. It's just an attitude, just a belief. Um, so however I got it, I'm lucky enough to have that. And a lot of people might think that's arrogant or confident, 
overconfident. But without that, um, yeah, I, I don't know what I'd be doing now because everything I've done, I've seen an opportunity and I've just thought I'm having it. I'm going for it. I'm not going to question, can I do it? I'm just going to try and see what happens. And on that note, as we mentioned, you're, you're heavily involved um, with, with Hashtag United. So when did you first realise you could take these two passions of yours, like football and business, and sort of create the, the perfect marriage to turn it into what you do for a living? When did it occur to you that, you know, these passions could align and be a reality rather than just a dream? Definitely from my brother. So mm. my brother, um, all the time we were doing solar panels, he was growing his online presence and growing and making content. And I was seeing some of the opportunities that he was getting through having a following in social media. And I definitely saw that there's a possibility there. And I'd, even from when I was doing the solar panel stuff, I'd be in some of his videos and I'd start getting followers of my own. And I was like, you can start to see how it can happen. And then you start to get a mindset shift as to why the world of advertising is going through a massive change and even more to come where, you know, people used to spend money on putting their brand on the side of a bus or on a, um, in a magazine or on TV ads where, you know, now social media could be equally or even better performing than that. And if you're able to build a, a legitimate and engaged audience, then, you know, the, there's a lot of money that, that you can, you can monetize from that if you do it properly. And that's the key thing because otherwise if you don't do that properly, you don't keep the audience for very long. So, um, well, that's what I realized it was for my brother was that I started working with him mainly off the camera at the beginning, just helping him with his deals I'd come from a background where I was selling hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of solar panel systems to big corporates, big companies on big factory roofs where they're, they're um, sort of uh, questioning and piling over fractions of a penny on the energy bill. And like, you know, it's real, really highly intensive negotiations into a world of advertising where it's a bit more fluffy, should we say. And I, I found that transition quite, quite easy. Um, it's a lot easier sales environment than, that world was um so uh yeah that's it's de definitely for my brother my brother without my brother doing it i don't think i'd ever would have got into this world at all like there was no route for me to go through i was starting to get a few followers in golf i won i won a few televised amateur golf events on sky and i'd get a few followers for that but nothing to his level um and it was only when i started being in his content and we built a hashtag and i played in the team and then my followers grew that i started making content and 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 uh, equally it's got to be said that starting a social media platform back then like five years ago is a lot easier than it is now you know now it's very difficult to grow and start um yeah so um it was definitely a, a good good timing but very lucky in that fact so if you think back to when the idea of hashtag united existing as a professional football club was just a dream so like a dream that probably every football fan who's ever lived has had to to own their own club uh, in the football league system. I wonder, because on a project like that, there's no blueprint to, to make it work. There's no formula to, to necessarily follow. Like, so if you have, I think, you know, a certain businesses, there's case studies you can look at. There's a lot of blueprints to success. But with this one, I imagine you might have been a bit, you know, lost on those initial steps and how to turn that. So when you turned Hashtag United from what originally existed as, maybe just a video concept on Spencer's channel. What challenges did you face with figuring out how do we turn this legit? Yeah, I mean, there, there, there was never some big blueprint about, right, we're going to go from this to that. It was, all, it was much more lots of little steps in the journey uh, and taking on little projects. So initially it was, right, let's, let's start a team, right? We need a structure. So we built this structure of football, this division of football we played in on Spencer's channel. And then it was like, right, this is really popular. Right? How do we progress it? Right, let's do some cool things. Right, wouldn't it be cool if we go on tour? So we did a tour. What about if we get our own kit? So we go and get a proper kit from, from Umbro is the first sponsor we had in the kits. Um, what if we do this academy series? You know, we go and find one of the viewers to, to join the team and win a, win a contract for the team. And it was all these little things that all kept moving. And then let's get hashtag involved in the Wembley Cup. And then it was, right, we've finished that, that cycle now, which we call chapter one. What's next? And it was Spencer that was the one who, who really believed that we needed to shift from um, making our own content in our own little YouTube bubble we were much more in control of and going into not the non-league world. That was very much his vision. And um, it, we, we talked to the FA and they, they allowed us the spot. And that, that was the biggest challenge because you go from making a couple of videos, uh, a couple of playing a couple of matches a month 
to having maybe two games a week sometimes and having to grow out a big production company, get offices um, to massive increase in costs, lots more players, get a proper manager, all the red tape and compliance that comes with being a, a non-league club, get a ground share agreement, not just rent random stadiums or, or take it when when Arsenal give you the keys to the Emirates, go and play there, like actually have to have our own ground and stuff. And um, that was the biggest challenge. And then to be able to pay for all that, we were very fortunate that as we made that journey, we got two big uh, sponsorships with um, Adidas and Football Manager, which gave us three-year commitments that allowed us to really plan and commit to things like a new office and new staff and all the things you need to sort of grow the club in the way we have on the, and the esports side as well. So that's, um, that, that was the biggest challenge. And we probably didn't really underestimate how much work it would be, but it was just a case of like, yeah, people probably don't realize how much work it goes into it. People probably think we just piss around, do a few videos, make a few YouTube videos. They don't realize that today I must've had eight or nine phone calls talking about things that will never be on camera, just nonsense, logistics, staff issues, logistical problems, planning for COVID things for the FA Cup game on the weekend. Like, and that's just me. Then we've got Neil Smythe, who's a senior TV exec, who's now our head of operations. We've got four or five people in the production team. There's stuff going on all the time. Um, we've, got, we've now obviously got the acquisition of the uh, Forest Glade youth team or the merger with them and, and also um, the Basel and women's football teams. Now there's all those clubs. We've got 500 footballers represented at Hashtag United. Logistics and all the kits and everything, all the fixtures, it's massive. Um, so I'm definitely not complaining because people probably don't realise how much work there is that goes in behind the scenes. It's like lots of people working way more than full-time hours every day, seven days a week to make it all continue. And all people see is the YouTube video. But at the same point, all that work, you don't mind doing it because you're following like a dream or you're involved in this thing that you're just so passionate and, and care about. It's like most people's hobby. Bear in mind, a lot of the people involved in Hashtag are volunteers as well. We've obviously got quite a big staff of paid staff, but outside of that, there's a lot of volunteers who all do it for the pure love of being involved in the project, as a lot of non-league football clubs do. So, um, yeah, football is a passion point for a lot of people. So um, it, um, it doesn't always feel like work, if that makes sense. So in the very early stages of this um, setup then, was there any adversity you remember facing or moments where you thought this might not materialise? Never moments where we thought it wouldn't materialise because it's been a very sort of, not say slow growth, it's only been four years since we started the club, but we've sort of gone bit by bit. Um, but there's been loads of, loads of people questioning and loads of people um, give you stick on stuff. Like a lot of people hate the name, right? Like hashtag United, people say it's like a cringy name. I, I get that opinion. It's like an old school world of football, but equally it's a very memorable, unique name that perfectly represents the, you know, the, the foundations of the club. Um, so uh, equally, I, I like, I like, obviously like the name, uh, but I do understand it's not for everybody, but we, people do get past the name when they actually get to meet us and realise we're not, hopefully, not these cringy people doing this sort of like thing online. It's just a legit, real football club, do, telling the story of a group of friends transitioning to a non-league football club, an esports club, flying all around the world, playing, playing computer games and playing real life football and making like a very low budget, version of the Amazon all or nothing documentary, you know, but about, you know, a group of friends who felt formed a club together from the beginning, not, um, not a uh, Premier League team. So at the moment you've got so many different things going on at the club. You've got the men's team. You've also got the women's team. Um, I saw that you've got a bit of a youth setup now. You also exist as an esports club. And on top of that, you are like extremely active on social media. It's almost like a separate empire the social media side of things. So with so many balls in the air, how do you manage to balance it all and sort of tackle each area simultaneously then? Well, I don't, I don't know we do, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, obviously people, people see um, what goes out there, but it's constant battles, um, trying to prioritise and juggle and spin plates and it doesn't often feel like we do that successfully there's so much more we could do in every single one of those areas but you know as a, as a growing company you have to focus on certain things sometimes and um, there's definitely a lot more we would like to do and we will do in the future but it's a case of you know doing everything you can we, there's only so much you can do you know even with you know the growing team we've got but yeah I, I definitely don't don't know that we 
we've got that nailed yet, to be honest. That's something we still need to keep working on, I think. So at the moment, I've just seen that you've, you've entered the extra preliminary round of the FA Cup. How big a moment was that for you when, when that first materialised? And was there that sense of, that's a pay, you know, this is a payoff for all the hard work? Was that maybe the defining moment of the journey so far for you? Uh, definitely one of them. I feel like there's been a few big defining moments. Um, one would be the original time when we get a brand like Coca-Cola to fly our entire team to America for two weeks and go on tour. It was pretty like, and we sat there in the Coca-Cola offices in, um, in uh, Atlanta and we had like one of the vice presidents of Coca-Cola who's in charge of like a $6 billion advertising budget, bring their kids out of their private school, flew them in to the office to meet us and personally say, there's 17 rounds of feedback I have people go through before we do a deal like this. You're well done. You're on to something great here. And it was like, like wow, this is mental. Um, there was moments like that. There's moments like the Wembley Cup when we've sold 34,000 tickets to people to come and watch us play football at Wembley Stadium. We've got Steven Gerrard playing in the game. We've got millions watching it online. And I score a penalty in the bottom corner and there's an image of me and Spen like celebrating in the corner flag at Wembley, all these people behind us. That felt like a moment. Signing deals with people like Adidas and Football Manager to become big long-term sponsors of the club. That felt like a moment. Um, the Academy Series, when Scott Pollock went on from winning our show to being one of our players and then now being a professional footballer in League One. Um, that feels like a moment. Um, and then joining the non-league pyramid. And I guess you could probably say that from that journey, the first game in the FA Cup feels like that, like the oldest and greatest club competition in the world. We are a part of that now. We've won our first game. We've got our, our second game on Sunday. Um, I don't know when this, this will go up, but um, maybe it'll go up after. We'll have either gone through again. We're, we're six wins from being in the first round of the FA Cup. We're nine wins from uh, playing a Premier League team. Um, we don't expect to do that, but nine wins feels a lot better than nine promotions that we need to get to the Premier League, if you like. Um, so, yeah, there's been lots of little moments along the way. Equally, like, when we've now built out the women's football team and the youth team, like, when we launched our latest kit last weekend, new home kit, and we had one of the girls on the poster, that felt like a moment as well. What's traditionally been me and Spen and our mates representing the club to now have this, this great additional whole team of fantastic female footballers who, by the way, are much higher up the pyramid than we are. They play in the National League. They play Ipswich Town in their league. Um, you know, they play in the FA Cup. They could play Man United in the FA Cup, Women's FA Cup. Um, so that's amazing. So there's loads of little moments like that. And we just want to keep doing that, keep finding the next thing that is the story. And I think that's why people are, are like, who watch us are invested in it is because they, they feel like it's their club. We, we show so much more than a real club would do. Like one of our players leaves, um, we sit down and make a video about it, like the real behind the scenes, what's and all, what really goes on, not like a polished press release statement that an elite football team would do, because they have to. Because um, they're, they're a PLC, most of them, right? Whereas we're not. We're just a group of guys. So, um, yeah, anyway, I'm probably going off topic there, but, um, but yeah. And, you know, you mentioned the, those old school um, ways of thinking that people might look at the club and think that it's not as serious as it is. But like we said, you are uh, in the preliminary round of the FA Cup. You are in the Football League system. I mean, I saw the women's team the other day playing uh, my club, West Brom, in a game. I thought that was really cool to see. Yeah, what yeah. for you then? And, you know, this is for the people listening who may think, who may look at it in that old school mindset. How serious is this? And what is the ultimate end goal? What is the, the big thinking? So, I mean, I guess it's as serious as any football club, really. I mean, the thing is, people um, don't really think about it. Like, every single football club that exists came from a group of friends who got together and started playing football. Hmm. Just some of them were 100 years ago. Well, we were four years ago. Been, in 96 years, we'll be 100 years old. And to be honest, that links quite nicely into what is the big goal. That we don't have the money to try and go through and become a League Two football team. And we're not also inclined, even if we did have the money, to do what a lot of people do, you know, which is like basically buy a scratch card, go and buy players, hope they're good enough to get them promoted. If they're not, you're bankrupt and you've got to go back to the well and find some more money. We've got no interest in that. We're trying to recreate a different model of football 
to create a meaningful football name, a football brand that can stand for something, can mean something, can reach a lot of people, tell a story about a club and everything involved in it. Um, and yeah, of course, we want to keep getting promoted. Of course we do, but we don't have to. It's not like we've got to get to League Two. We've got to do that. I don't know if we can afford to get to League Two. Um, I don't know whether it's realistic. Um, and I'm not obsessed with doing that. You know, I think we can, we can reach way more people than most League Two clubs can do. Um, and, um, and be play in front of a lot more people every week online, more than some championship teams doing what we're doing now. So it's just about continuing. It's about trying now to put down the foundations that mean the club are not just reliant on YouTube views in order to get sponsors to keep the lights on, you know, in order to prove a model that is based on that, that allows a football club to be sustainable and run, standing for the right things, doing cool stuff, having a cool story for our audience to follow. Um, and just make sure we can continue doing it forever. Mm. Uh, well beyond myself and Spencer and Alex, you know, just forever. Um, so the long-term goal is to keep going. And that's it. And do as much cool stuff along the way as possible. Do you think that one of the big advantages you have is coming from um, that YouTube space, coming from already having that sort of social empire and being better than a lot of, I would say, Premier League teams in terms of social media reach and you know, YouTube views, and you may not have that fan base that comes from a certain town or a certain city, but you have a lot more traction on what is arguably, you know, the most important space at the moment, and that is social media and the internet and the youth. Yeah, so last year in 2019, still a crazy stat, we were the eighth most viewed football team in England online, uh, hashtag United, including all the Premier League team, which is just 17th, 19th globally. I think um, that might not stay this year because a lot of the teams now are investing heavily in their content. Um, but it's a cool, st- it's a cool little stat that I've got on my uh, on my deck. That I talk to sponsors about that's for sure for now. Um, but yeah, that's obviously a focus of us. We've come from that world, so we understand it. We actually help a lot of Premier League clubs with their social media. We collaborate with them a lot. There's a lot of things they can help us with, and this that's one way we we can help some of them. There's equally more of them that you know, it's a lot more of them all the time that get it really well and really got great social media teams and that's obviously hugely important thing for all football clubs to be doing more of um uh going forward so outside of hashtag united then you've mentioned that you have you know your own personal brand seb on golf how have you found the process of building your own personal brand around golf and is it is there an easier um uh challenge given the fact that it's built around probably your biggest passion then um, in a way, yes. The biggest, the biggest challenges I have is that golf is a much smaller audience than football. So viewership online is much less in golf than football. But that is also an opportunity because it's meant that with the boost I've had through having a profile with hashtag and football, that I've been able to become one of the biggest golf creators quite quickly, um, which has given me a lot of opportunities. But then also because of all the other stuff I do, that takes up a lot of my time. So I'm not able to invest as much in my channel as maybe some other people do in the sector. I may be uploading one, two or three videos a month, whereas they might do two or three videos a week, right? So juggling that is just another thing that's difficult to do, but I certainly love it. Um, And uh, it's been growing really nicely, especially recently during lockdown. I've been able to do a lot more content. Um, So yeah, that's that's a big passion point of mine. Um, And it's like my, one of my little releases where it's, you know, I guess about me and not about, hashtag or about Spencer that's like a personal thing to me um but I, I wouldn't want to do either of them individually I like the fact that I do both I wouldn't want to just do my golf because I love what I do with my brother and I love hashtags so much and then equally yeah I, I, I don't want to stop doing my I wouldn't want to not do my golf thing as well it's just hard balancing that with uh, with two kids at home as well I've got a very uh, accommodating wife should I say shout out to Gina she's listening <laughs> Uh, do you almost embrace and welcome the challenge then you said about golf being a much smaller sport do you almost embrace the opportunity to to bring some light to it um you know i i see for example you made a video or i'm not sure if you released it yet with the side men so i'm yeah. that's going to bring a lot of eyes so i think of my younger brother for example he's i think he's 13 years old now um probably never seen a golf club in his life but i know for a fact that if he saw a video involving the side men he's going to click on it and all of a sudden He's, you know, subjected to this sport golf. Do you like that opportunity and sort of embrace that almost responsibility to bring eyes to the sport you love? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that video has gone up and it's, it's got a quarter of a million views. And to give you an idea, like most of my videos might get 30,000 views, 40,000 in golf, which is 
pretty good for golf, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but that one's yeah, got nearly 10 times the amount of views I'd normally get on a video. Uh, just shows the pull they've got. And it's an opportunity to, to bring some people into golf for the first time. And that's really what my channel is about. Because I was that guy. Hmm. I was the 21-year-old who was finishing university and thought golf was a boring old man sport. I'd played it a bit when I was younger, but I was football, football, football. Um, and I, I rented a flat while I was doing that job selling Frankie machines on the side of a golf course. And me and the guy I was living with, we used to just knock over there in the evenings and play golf, just jump on. And I got addicted, obsessed. Um, and there was me and him and a few of, other, of our other mates that just got right into it. And that became almost an addiction for me, golf. Um, and I just, yeah, I do just love it. So uh, my golfing thing allows me to, like, I've got two great sponsorships with TaylorMade and Adidas. And lucky enough to get flown around the world play the best golf courses by a lot of different brands and resorts and things and get to live out like this dream golfing lifestyle get to do a lot of work with the with the, uh, the tour pro tour pros um and yeah it's just i'm incredibly lucky that i get to do that so um all the work i put into my golf channel effectively just li lets me live out that sort of golfing dream i guess I think we've done a, a 120 episodes of this podcast now. And from these types of conversations, I get sort of two schoolers, schools of thought in terms of, you know, businessmen and working for yourself. And the two schools are, some say that it's all about hunting a gap in the market and hunting almost methodically. And then I say, I guess the other 50% of people I ask talk about how if you go after something you love and a passion, then that's the secret. And I think one of the big themes I get from you is this idea that you can take a passion and turn it into what you do for a living. And there's that old sort of cliche self-help saying that, you know, if you do what you love, you'll never work another day in your life. For the people listening at home who, you know, may be inspired by your journey, is that the advice you'd give them in, in following their passion? I mean, definitely. Um, I, 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 I don't, I don't think I can take a huge amount of credit for my entry into the current world I'm in, apart from I've been lucky that when I had the opportunity, I was able to deliver on it and execute upon it. But I didn't sit there and think, yeah, I'm going to build a, a social media sort of, you know, um, business. It was through my brother, right? I have to be honest about that. And, and that's just a lucky thing I had. But then equally... We're four years in now and his businesses have massively grown. We've built Hashtag and I've got this big golf platform. So it wasn't all put on a plate for me, um, but we've had to work very, very hard to do it. And I guess I've been able to deliver on that opportunity. So probably the biggest advice I would say is if there's, if there's a, an area you're interested in is be as active as possible. Know as many people and as much about that, every facet of it as possible. And eventually you will have an opportunity presented to you to, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know where I'd start. Like where do I find the opportunity in golf or in social media? Like hard to, to do that, but I would just be active and there's so much out there. And I think that if you are, if you are um, busy enough and putting yourself about there and learning and meeting new people is the key biggest thing, which is obviously difficult right now, but whether that's online seminars or whatever, just being out there and, you know, I used to say to my brother before he got involved in anything he did, when he was just doing an internship at Channel 4, or even before that, he was just finishing university. And um, like, where, where do you start? Like, where do you start? You look at a job advert board, you look at a recruitment agency, like, what do you do? And even back then, I remember saying to him, you just got to do. You've got to do stuff. You've got to be out in the world because it could be as simple as walk into the post office and you walk past someone and bump into them. You ain't going to walk into that person sitting at home on your PlayStation. Mm. That's walking past go into the co-op to buy a sandwich and you see an advertisement on the job board there. It could be uh, walking down the road and you decide to put your, your, your radio on because you're going on a walk and you hear something on the radio, an advert that inspires you and gives you an idea. It could be anything. You just need to be putting stuff into your stimulus that can lead to opportunity. Um, there's no, there's no secret recipe. I guess, um, I guess, uh, yeah, like if you do love something, all that stuff should be fun, right? You're going to want to do it anyway. Um, and you just got to do is the biggest thing. Like people think, oh, I've got to get this idea perfectly right. I've got to get it all nailed down, bang on. No, you don't. You just got to start. I started a solar panel company with no idea how to buy a solar panel, how to install a solar panel, how they even worked. I just knew that people would buy them. So I just went and sold them and did the rest later. And if I'd sat there and worried about, right, what's my supply chain? can I get inverters? How am I installing? Who am I getting scaffolding from? I'd probably still be waiting now. I'd never have done it. So instead I just went bang, 
go and and just back yourself ultimately um you've got to go through some sense checking on that like you don't want people and equally i was very lucky in the fact that i had that job at the franking machine company neopost where i had somebody paying my salary paying for me to have a company car and a fuel card and i could launch the business well off the back of their money sorry neopost i mean i was still doing a sales for you so don't worry too much um but you know i didn't have to just quit my job and focus on it all so i was very lucky in that so i've been given a huge amount of head start whether it's my parents hard work and the education they gave me the upbringing um the um fact that i had my company paying for me to start my own company effectively my brother was very busy in social media i've had a huge leg up i can't can't disagree so i've got to remember remember always remember that but um you know you've still got to you've got to uh make the most of those opportunities and um that's what i think i've i've been lucky to do i have four quick questions left for you the first one is this may be people that you know personally or people that you've never met who have been some of the biggest mentors in your life my dad definitely i mean I did a school project when I was 12 years old about who's, who was my hero and people were saying Ryan Giggs or I don't know, whoever, any big figure from the day, mine was my dad. Um, just giving us everything, sacrificed so much, you know, worked all the hours for going holidays or whatever things other people might spend their money on. He invested it in his kids in an education for us, but also in supporting us and, and nurturing us. And yeah, like, um, it's not even close, not even a close second. Um, he's the person I most want to be like um, in the world, really, um, just because, you know, he's just, he's just I've got, if I could be the same sort of father to my kids as he's been to me, that'll do me, no problem. So, yeah, definitely my dad. Um, outside of that, um, I lo- I'm obviously a big golfer, and obviously talking about his golfing here, I'm a big believer in, like, the, the mental resilience that people like Tiger Woods have. And how that um, having a, a certain mindset can be so powerful in the world. Like I believe that you can control situations. It's not the right word, but you can manipulate situations and you control people's behaviour very well if you're confident and if you are um, very direct in a certain way. A lot of people will, if you act like you know what you're talking about, and obviously you've got some substance there, um, you can get things in life that you may not think are achievable if you just go and get them. Uh, so a, a mindset of someone like a Tiger Woods, like a real winning mentality, um, knowing when to be ruthless at the right times as well. Um, yeah, they'd be, they'd, I'd say that's two things. Tiger Woods many later in my life, but just someone who's so determined to win. Like, I believe that winning is a choice. Like if you really decide you're going to win something, um, like then there's only one option that's a really significant thing though it's not just a word like um very very silly not ultra serious one but when i won some of those televised golf events i was playing other amateur golfers um i wanted to win i didn't have a a family at that point i wasn't married didn't have kids um i had time i wanted to win and i believe i decided to win those events i put in the time i put in more time than anyone else at my level and i had confidence and I believe I maybe going off topic here, but I believe that that mindset is massive. Um, sort of flight or flight, I need to achieve failure versus need to, need to achieve. Like that's a big thing for me. There's two real mindsets I think in the world. I call it the Darren Bent syndrome. I've, I've said this quite a few times before. Darren Bent, when he was at Charlton Athletic, he was this top boy. Give him the ball. Give me the ball, boys. I'll sort it out. Don't you worry. I'll sort it. Give me the ball. I'll be top scorer. Right. He gets a big money move to Tottenham and he doubted himself. He wanted to avoid failure. He wanted to not let people down. It's such a big difference as a striker from saying, look, come on, I'll do it. Just give me the ball. Confident, aggressive, direct to like, oh, I'll just shoot this way because if it goes wide, then I won't get in trouble and people won't be too annoyed. I'll still hit the target. No, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. You've got to go for the jugular all the time. Um, And I think when I wanted to win those golf events, I, I basically decided I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. Um, within the rules, of course, but I'm going to do whatever it takes to, uh, to, to, to win that. So I think having that winning mindset, if you really want to do something, you can do it. Like there's so many of us come up with excuses um, that we give ourselves, you know, like, uh, 
I really want to go running to get fit for that race. Oh, but you know what? I had a late lunch today or, yeah, or I think, is that my ankle tweaking a little bit? Yeah, I should do it tomorrow. Like, that's all nonsense. You have to be able to chew that voice up and spit it out. And if you can control that inner voice, then you're on, you're onto something. Um, a lot of, obviously the motivational speakers talk about stuff like that. And I'm not an expert at far. I, I wish I was. I fail with that all the time. Um, I'm getting better. Just the other day I was like, Oh, my arm's aching a bit and oh, I should probably try and get some sleep tonight. The kids, are, the kids have kept me up a bit recently. I'll just get some sleep tonight. No, I'll go running and I'll go running. Well, every single time afterwards, you're so glad you did. Never once do you go, wish I hadn't gone running. I should have just listened to that niggle or not run on a full stomach. Never, ever. You always are glad you've done it. So being able to just sort of get out of your own way and, and get on with it. But that's, that's easier said than done. Easier said than done. And we, we all struggle with that still. No, absolutely. And in the same way that those mentors have impacted your life, are there any books you've read throughout your life that have had an impact on you that you could recommend our audience? No, I don't. I don't the only golf book I, re, book I recommend is a golf book. It's by Dr. Bob Rotea, and it's called Putting Out of Your Mind. And it's a mental psychology book about the art of putting. And that's that's got some parallels to business and golf. It's very much about confidence and and being in control of your mindset. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I, I listen to a few things on YouTube and some podcasts, but I'm not a big self help self help um, uh, book reader guy. And there's one. A guy called a good friend of mine, a guy called Andy Proudman from a business called Me and My Golf. He he um he reads a book called The Daily Stoic, and it's yes. 365 um freight um uh, inspirational quotes or short stories from um from the Stoics over the years. And uh, there's one a day, and I've got that on my bedside table. And every now and then I'll flick through and read that, and it just gives you a set you up for the day. So I'd maybe recommend that. Um, but otherwise, uh, no, not 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 I can think of. No, I'm with you on that. And I keep the Daily Stoic next to my bed and uh, it's perfect. Uh, just breaks down and um, gives you more context on these, you know, really old quotes from Marcus Aurelius and, and such. It's fantastic. So I'm glad you, you, you mentioned that one. Um, so if you take all the, the lessons you've learned in your life along the way and you could sort of distill what you've learned down and you had the opportunity to broadcast one message or lesson to everyone in the world that you think they could take value from learning, what would your lesson to the world be? The, the real lesson would be is that there's nothing to stop you. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be things, some people will have rent to pay, they'll have kids to look after, they'll have two jobs to run. But, you know, I, I do listen to a bit of Gary Vee, there's always a way. Like, it might take longer, but if you really, really want something, I believe that almost anybody can do it. Um, like we only really, okay. Yeah, sure. Ideally. And I do believe in this a lot more than I used to. You do need your eight hours sleep a night, but you could get away for a few years on four years, four hours. I, I get about four hours um, a night's sleep, but that's mainly because my kids are keeping me up at the moment, but it's possible. So, you know, if you, as long as you're looking after yourself and you're taking, you know, vitamin D and supplements and you're, you're, you know, you're a healthy person, you can do your exercise. There's no reason why if you've got to be up at seven to go to work, you can't get up at half four or five. Um, like, what do you really do between 10 p.m. and midnight? That means you can't go to sleep earlier. Like, your kids are probably asleep unless you work in a night shift. You know, they, okay, this is not going to be for everybody, but there's always a way. It's just the ultimate reality is the comfort of chilling out and watching Netflix or doing something else is ultimately more appealing to our, our own psyche than when you're knackered going and listening to a podcast or reading a book or making a business plan or whatever it is you want to do or going to a networking event. Like we just, we just don't go that extra mile. I'm very lucky that I've, I've never, um, you know, had to really, really like, I've obviously worked very hard once I'm in an opportunity, but I've had the boost that we spoke about. So I can't really, you know, claim too much on this, but I do know that when I've started those businesses, there's so many things that I've sacrificed to, to make them kick on. And a lot of that is constantly working like seven days a week, three, six, five. There is never a day in my life for the last decade where I haven't worked. I'm not saying it's 15 hours a day, but you know, I'm completely obsessed with it. My mobile phone, I've got one of the 11s and you know, it's got a very good battery life. I'll do two battery cycles a day because there's so much constantly happening. Um, so you can always, you can normally always find a bit more time. So my belief would be is that um, whatever you want to do isn't as far away as you really think it is. Even if you're 
unemployed, you're struggling for money, you know, you don't have uh, certain qualifications, like all those things you can achieve as, and, and you, can, you can play catch up in, you know, just a few years, really. Um, it doesn't have to, it's not a lifetime away. Or it's not like some divine a gift from God um, that why some people are successful at all. It's, it's just, it's there, it's cliche, but I do really believe in it. I do believe most people think that people who are successful are just from a different cloth. They're really not. They're just like, they've got the same flaws. They still fart and they still do all the things that like average people do. They're nothing special. They've just, um, they've just made it happen. The last question I have for you, um, I'll give you an example of myself. So for me, um, what makes my life worth living at the moment is when I go to bed at night, I know that I'm putting these podcasts out and they are affecting people in terms of motivating or inspiring them or even just a slight bit making their life a little bit better. So for you, Seb, what makes your life worth living? Right now, it's changed. It's now my children, definitely. Mm. Um, it, it, before, before they were born, I would have given you a different answer. Um, you know, um, could get really deep here, but often people say like, what's the meaning of life? And the closest I've ever get got to having an answer to that question is whatever gives you peace of mind. So for some people that might be getting closer to buying a yacht. For some people that might be doing charity work and laying your head on the pillow going today, I made someone else's life better. There are people at different ends of the spectrum and everything in between. You need to find out what it is that makes you have peace of mind. That could be monetary, could be intrinsic, extrinsic motivation, and that is what you focus on. I personally like, um, I'm not obsessed with, with money or with like flash things. I like to have certain things, but I, I like achieving things. Like I'll get as much joy from securing a deal, beating some comp competitors to a pitch or something, than a will out of any money that I might get from it. Like I'll generally want to win. I like winning. Um, so what makes me feel good is if I've achieved something, if, even if it's a, a, winning a golf tournament or if it's closing a deal at work, I'll like that feeling. But that's all been superseded by the little moments where I'll pick my daughter up from nursery and she'll run and say something really cute to me. And that, that just has changed everything for me. So, yeah. Soppy answer to end. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, before I let you go, where can our listeners find you on social media and connect with yourself? Yeah, so uh, Instagram, Twitter, I am uh, at Seb C Brown 4. Uh, I'm on TikTok now. My TikTok's blowing up at the minute, actually. Um, I'm Seb on Golf on TikTok, and I'm Seb on Golf on my biggest platform, which is YouTube. Awesome. Seb, thanks so much for bringing the value to the conversation today. I really enjoyed it. I hope you did too. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And that wraps up this Monday's episode of the Freedom Pact podcast. We'll see you again Friday with another brand new episode. Until then, subscribe on YouTube and go to freedompact.co.uk. And if you haven't already, sign up to our healthy, wealthy and wise newsletter to tide you over until Friday for some more wisdom and value.